Follow Chicago's home for sports on Instagram at ESPN underscore Chicago. This is ESPN 1000. Welcome back to ESPN 1000. Here until 10 a.m. talking sports with you. Glad you're with us on the Sunday morning. 312-332-3776. You know that number if you want to join the conversation. Here until 10, as I said, then we're going to send it back to O'Donovan's on Irving Park where Jeff and Dion will bring the pregame show. And Jeff sticks around for the viewing party as well. So if you're looking for something to do on this frigid Sunday, head on to O'Donovan's and uh, have some uh, good times with uh, Jeff and Dion. And ESPN 1000 and good times on the north side. Well, it's at least a start. Um, better late than never, I suppose. Uh, just 24 hours ago, Jesse Rogers and I were uh, sitting here at this very uh, hour talking about uh, baseball moves and certainly the uh, Ben Attendee signing with the Chicago White Sox. And the conversation also turned to the north side and the Chicago Cubs. And if and when they were going to do something of substance, and lo and behold, a few hours later, David Kaplan reporting that Dansby Swanson, in fact, is coming to the Chicago Cubs, a seven-year, $177 million deal. And um, that is the second highest contract in terms of annual uh, value, average value, and also in terms of guaranteed money right behind Jason Hayward and right uh, before John Lester. And one of those worked out tremendously and one not as much as you'd hoped. But we welcome in Jesse Rogers, TSPN 1000, our baseball guru, and uh, he has a, a, a column up on ESPN.com about the signing. And Jess, uh, you said you thought it was going to get done. You didn't know if it would be before Christmas or New Year's. But, uh, hey, it was before sundown on Saturday. Uh, how to get done so quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, it, it goes slow, and then all of a sudden, boom, it speeds up, right? And the thing is, not only did Jed Hoyer – and the Cubs get their man, I think they got him at the price they really wanted him at. Like, I don't think they had to move that much off uh, to get him to, at 177 for seven years. So unlike these other guys who signed the big deals and are probably going to have some regrets late in the contract, they may not care, these owners. Um, Jed, very sort of precise guy that uses the analytics a lot, and, and we talked about this yesterday, doesn't go past his evaluations. This is kind of what he wanted them for, I believe. Now, it might be a little bit more in the beginning of the offseason when um, no one knew exactly where the shortstop market was going to go. But 7 and 177, kind of what we were thinking, 8, 200, you know, all right, subtract the year, subtract yeah. one year of pay. Yeah, 7 and 7, it, it, it all makes sense to me, and I guarantee you it makes sense to Jed. I think he's very happy with this deal. I haven't talked to him yet or anything like that. So they got him at the price they wanted. And, boy, one guy can change the feeling of a team, can it? Very, very uh, excited to hear from Cup fans the last 24 hours. You know, interesting, the reaction on Twitter to some of the things you posted, including some quotes from Dansby Swanson at the, uh, after the, the final Braves game and, you know, talking about he paid attention to how the Cubs played in the second half of the season and Twitter being Twitter, a lot of naysayers said, well, who'd they beat? You know, what, you know, what was the schedule? What, you know, they, they were just playing Pittsburgh all the time and, and big deal. Um, but the fact of the matter is, he, he seemed to be paying attention. I don't know. We talked about uh, his fiance, now wife. They got married last week. You know, I was going to play for the Red Stars here in Chicago. The fact there's a no trade in this, I, I haven't seen anything about possible opt out, but the no trade tells me that he wants to be in Chicago. I mean, that, uh, you know, the seven years and certainly 25 
in change, $25 million of change, significant on either uh, either of those accounts. But uh, it looks like he wanted to call this home and didn't want to be moving around in a couple of years. Yeah, that conversation I had with him, and we have some of the audio in there if you want to hear sort of the tone of it. Um, I, I could just gather through body language and tone, he knew exactly what the Chicago Cubs were all about and the idea of playing here with his now wife, uh, playing soccer. Um, it was all sort of, um, it made sense to me in talking to him. It really did. Uh, the things that he said about the Cubs and understanding their second half. By the way, didn't they like, sweep the Phillies and the Mets in the second half? I mean, who cares about you know, who you played in the second half? That, that's, that doesn't mean anything. The fact of the matter is he saw 39 and 31 and it stood out to him. So when we talk about, you know, is it, is it important to win even on a, in a losing season? It certainly was to Dansby Swanson because he mentioned it to me how well they played in the second half. So, look, they're not a fully formed team, but all of a sudden they're a really good defensive and possibly pitching team, probably missing the truest of aces, probably missing the truest of left-handed sluggers. Yes, but in that division, you can foresee second place without, you know, uh, drinking all the Cub Kool-Aid. They'd have to battle Milwaukee, and if things go right, maybe the Cardinals miss Yachty's leadership, and maybe the Cubs get Matt Mervis Rookie of the Year out of him. You know, who knows? So at least they're in the mix because they are going to play some great defense. Go Glover in center, go Glover in left, go Glover at short, basically a go Glover at second. He was a finalist in 2020, Nico Horner. Um, now we'll see what happens behind the plate. That's important. But this team looks so much better and different with Dansby Swanson on it, let alone he's having you know uh, sort of his best years offensively right now. We'll see if that continues. Yeah, and I know that Jed made it a point and, and actually said, you know, certain baseball truisms, being strong up the middle uh, really helps. And now the, the shift is being outlawed. So you just mentioned with Bellinger in center, shortstop is always your most important position. Defensively has to be your best athlete usually. Nico Horner slides over to second. And as you said, you know, we'll see what they do behind the plate. But if if you were just – if someone who hasn't been watching the Braves came up to you and said, you know, in a, give me a thumbnail on who this guy is and what he's all about. I mean, some of these numbers defensively, he's only 28. He'll be 29 before opening day. But outs above average, he uh, ranks second in the majors, not just uh, among shortstops, so any position. And, um, and and Nico Horner's right behind him. So I've seen average arm. I've seen, uh, you know, there are certain things that stand out and some things you say, okay, you know, what's as bad? Is it going to be an impact bad? Probably not. But is it all about defense here? No, I think it's a lot of, about a lot of things. And you haven't even brought up maybe maybe the most important one. And I know you don't pay $177 million for this, this, this uh, aspect. But if someone asked me to describe Dansby Swanson's game in one word, it would have nothing to do with arm, bat, speed, nothing. It'd be winner. The guy's a winner. The guy's a leader. He was the first overall pick. He knows what pressure's all about. He led the Braves to World Series a couple of years ago as uh, the leader in the middle of the infield, of course, with Freddie Freeman at the time. He's a winner, and he's coming to a team that's sort of figuring out how to win. Now, they have Cody Bellinger as well. Um, I guarantee you Dansby's personality, demeanor, the position he plays, all that stuff is going to elevate him, even though Cody's won a World Series as well. It's going to be Dansby's team. So, yeah, is he – Bogarts or these other guys physically? No, that's why the contract is the contract. That's why the war is the war. But he's damn good, and he's much needed on a team that needs a star, and they don't grow on trees, 
And if you weren't going to get Judge or Trey Turner, you know, he's the next best thing. So, yeah, you can't view him as the savior, but there's a lot to like, and he plays every day, which you got to like as well. Well, that, so, yeah, that's that, the thing. That, I that's mean, kind of how I that's kind of how I describe him. Yeah, I mean, he's he's missed what two games in the last two or three years. I mean, he shows yeah. up. He's he's ready to go to work every day, and he stays healthy. Sixty games, even in 2020, when guys weren't, uh, you know, when fully uh, at, at full strength and their, their stamina and all this stuff. He played 60 games that year, then 160, then 162. So he was slacking in 21 when he missed two <laughs> games there. And I think if you play 162 at shortstop and you win the gold glove and your OPS is 776, uh, that's pretty darn good. I'm sorry. That's pretty darn good. He was finished 12th in, in MVP voting for, for, you know, for God's sakes and made his first all-star game. So if you're going to have a, a walk year, that's the kind of walk year you have. But I don't think this is a guy that's going to rest on his laurels, not from everything that I know about him. And I know, yeah, looking at some of these things, uh, his OPS, 738, about league average, but 15% above the league average last year. Again, 28 going on 29. I mean, is there, a, is there another level? Is there, as, as great as that resume is, 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 is there a possibility that those numbers get better in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think that's a that's a great question. I don't know if he's going to jump into the thirty, you know, home run range. I'm not sure about that. Uh, wind blown out to left, maybe maybe he does do that. But I think the walks to strikeouts, you know, that was a little skewed last year. I'd like to see a little bit more contact. Forty nine walks to 182 strikeouts. Now he's had better years in that department, but you know, you know how it works. Where Benintendi on the other side of town gave up power, so to speak for contact, uh, Dansby may have given up contact for more power, especially as he got closer to free agency. You get paid for home runs, right, in this, in this sport. So let's see what he does as he settles in now for seven years. Does he get back to a little bit more contact than on base? You know, in 2020, the shortened season, he had his career high, um, three, 345 on base percentage. Would like to see that with a 20-plus home run guy and maybe reduce the strikeouts a little bit. Um, so I think there's something in there to be said. I don't know if it's another level or just like a better level where there's a balance between contact and, and power there, uh, Brian. I, I think he can certainly do that, and I certainly think he can play gold glove defense at Wrigley Field. You mentioned this is his team. How does that, uh, how does that manifest itself? Is he a rah-rah guy? Is he a lead-by-example guy? Uh, uh, will they, you know, you've been around him. You've talked to him many times. What kind of you know, what kind of vibe does that, uh, will he bring to that clubhouse? Yeah, I don't think it's, it's anything loud, but I think he'll speak up when he needs to speak up. I think he understands the team that he's coming to. I mean, I think he spoke up when he needed to speak up on a team with stars all over the place, right? And he probably took a bigger role, from what I understand, when Freddie Freeman left. So um, I don't think he's daily rah-rah. There's not that many of those guys out there anyway. Right. But it, it certainly is lead by example, lead by you know Rizzo for example it, it was also being in front of the cameras every day that's the message you're sending to your team too. be accountable I guarantee you Dansby Swanson is going to be the guy that a lot of the media goes to on a daily basis you know a lot of times after games Brian you know if if sure. you hit a home run in the game the media is running to you but how about the games where there are no home runs there were no big superstar moments in that game someone has to talk and I guarantee you it'll be Dansby Swanson just like it was Anthony Rizzo so there's all these ancillary qualities. Again, you don't pay $177 million for, but it's part of the package. And I think Cub fans are going to like this guy a lot. 
You know, yesterday I was giving uh, Jed and Tom a pretty rough ride because they hadn't done anything. And if they didn't make the move on uh, Dansby Swanson, I was going to be more than disappointed. But you alluded to it at the top of the conversation. There's more to do. I was looking just even at the, the free agent catchers still out there. I mean, nothing really jumps off the, the page at you. What what other moves need to be made before spring training? And, you know, how, how do they fill that glaring hole behind the plate right now? Yeah, the glaring hole behind the plate is, is a tough one to answer because they have missed out on some guys. They made an offer to Christian Vasquez after saying goodbye to Wilson Contreras. That didn't work out. Omar Navarez signed. They're really working their way down the list here. Um, Tucker Barnhart could be possibly something um, behind the plate. I'm not sure. There's no great answer behind the plate to pair with Jan Gomes. That certainly is going to be probably something they have to deal with in future years more than this one, unless they make a trade. You have to think this. Nick Madrigal might be available. And the Blue Jays kind of are on the record. They, 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 they have more catchers than they can play. So who knows? Maybe there's a trade to be had after Sean Murphy moved from Oakland. I think teams are going to look to Toronto. And now that they signed up Swanson, they kind of have an extra infielder in Nick Madrigal. Could he be part of of a package that brings you back a catcher. That's something I'm looking for. Otherwise, it's really working their way down the free agent list. Now, as far as other positions are concerned, not to bury the lead, Brian, but, you know, I like to give you some breaking news on your show. It's almost a fait accompli. They're working very closely to getting this done, and it's bringing back lefty Drew Smiley. Drew Smiley will be a Cub again today. Fifth starter type. Did have a really good run in August. When healthy last year, he was pretty darn good. Had a .90 ERA in August. His September wasn't bad. Had a little of a, a oblique issue. Made 24 starts. Now, I don't know if they're thinking of him as a you know 5-6 kind of guy where he's not asked to pitch 32 you know times out there. I don't know. We'll see. I think he's going to get a decent salary. Um, but, look, they are adding pitching depth. You, they brought back um, Adrian Sampson. Um you know, Hendricks is still recovering from his injury. You need six, seven, eight guys. Let's face it. So Drew Smiley, when healthy, was really good last year. Um, he's been in the organization a couple times now. So he, they are getting close to bringing him back. Uh, I believe it's a one-year deal. Could be one in option, something like that. Uh, but Drew Smiley should be in the mix soon. Hey, great news. That works for me. And I, I'm like you, I was very impressed uh, late in the season with what he was doing and enjoyed watching him pitch. And is there a more apt name for that? young man, because he always seems to be enjoying himself out there. Uh, but, yeah, the Cubs, you know, Keegan Thompson, a couple of these guys, the the, arm, the arms they had last year, um, didn't get a lot of fanfare, but pretty good seasons for two or three of those guys. Oh, definitely. I mean, the arrow's pointing up for both those guys. I mean, not every one of these young players is going to take a step forward. That's just usually not how it works. But if you have five or six that look good last year, well, one or two might, right? And then Maybe one or two take a step back, but between Morrell, Steele, Thompson, Suzuki, um, even Ian Happ taking a step, like, okay, there's a lot of good there, and maybe one does take a step back, but you can afford that because you've got some, some other pieces that are working uh, you know, in the right direction. So we'll see. Steele, Thompson, Stroman, Tyon, Smiley, Wesneski, the guy they got uh, mid-year for Efros, right? Um, Sampson looked good at times last year, so there's depth there. There's certainly middle of the rotation guys. Is Stroman the truest number one? Is Tyon a, a true number two? Maybe not. It'd be great to have Verlander and move those guys down a notch, but beggars can't be choosers at this point. It's a 
good staff right now. It still needs a lot of work. The one thing, and this is what other teams have talked about, the Cubs have done a good job developing, especially relievers. So they may not look like all-stars on paper uh, on you know December whatever one or January 1st or February 1st, but the Cubs have done a good job at developing relievers in particular, and now we see the formation of a starting staff here. Jess, great stuff as always. I know you were very busy yesterday, and I appreciate you jumping on this morning to, to not only talk about Dansby Swanson, but give us the Drew Smiley news and um, you know, as a Cup fan, it's a it's a feel good, and it you know it's not the the end of everything, but it's a good start, and and certainly they had to do something, and they did something of significance yesterday. So appreciate you jumping on, give us your take on everything. It's going to be a little old school baseball, Brian. A little four to two, three to one, two to nothing. Yeah, they'll they'll lose some games when their pitchers blow up, but it, it's pitching and defense is you know every team has a theme, has a has a vibe. That's their vibe right now. Need to add offense to be a, a contender, but pitching and defense is who they are in the moment. Great stuff. Thanks, Jess. We'll talk to you later. You got it, Brian. See you, pal. Je- Jesse Rogers. You can read him at ESPN.com, ESPN 1000. You get uh, Jesse's takes throughout the baseball season and certainly during the uh, offseason as well because uh, baseball is a 12-month-a-year. Um, uh, there are no off months for the uh, for baseball any, any day now. You're, you're always on the beat. 312-332-3776 is the telephone number. When we come back, we'll shift gears and start focusing in on the Chicago Bears. Have a very formidable test today at Soldier Field. Jalen Hurts and the Philadelphia Eagles, 12-1 and Eagles, who are just steamrolling teams with that offense. And a lot of conversation this week about uh, Jalen Hurts and is Justin Fields on the same career path and track that Jalen Hurts has been uh, traversing in Philadelphia where he's now among the top quarterbacks in the league and leading that team, the best team in, in the league uh, currently. And it's a very big test for J- Justin Fields and the Bears. We'll talk to Josh Schrock from NBC Sports Chicago in a little bit. We'll hear from uh, uh, Matt Eberflus and also uh, Justin Fields himself about uh, what they expect today and uh, what's in store for the Chicago Bears. We'll do that on ESPN 1000 in just a few. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Follow Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. I mean, one, you know, just the way he carries himself. Um, you know, I think me and him are similar into just our humility and kind of that. And, you know, he's a great leader, um, you know, a great person on and off the field. So, um, just that, and you know, just how hard he works, kind of blocking out the outside noise. You know, of course, being in Philly, that's a city where they have passionate fans as well. So, of course, you know, just hearing all of that and um, just the stuff he had to go through through, what, year one and two, where, you know, some people didn't believe in him. You know, he just stayed down, believed in himself, and really that's all you have to do and just keep working his work ethic. And, I mean, you see what happens. So, um, I mean, he's a, he's a great, great person, um, a great leader for the team and a great player. You know that voice. He's the quarterback of the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields, and the Bears head into the final four games of the season with still uh, improvement to be made, and uh, not only for the team, but for certainly Justin Fields. And the 3-10 and Bears face the 12-1 and Eagles today. A lot of the conversation this week was about where Justin Fields is compared to Jalen Hurts, and that was uh, Justin Fields talking about Comparisons he sees between the two, uh, personality-wise, and, and some of the same traits. And I don't think anyone questions Justin Fields' leadership ability, his want to, his work ethic. All the intangibles seem the boxes seem to have been checked to this point in his Bears career. 
Um, he enters the game today with 905 rushing yards this season. And beginning of the season, a lot of those were out of uh, were not by design. They were out of necessity to uh, avoid getting hurt and getting tackled and getting sacked. But the last five, six weeks, they've been more by design. And we've seen the explosive plays he can uh, make with his feet. And uh, I'm old enough to remember Bobby Douglas in 1972. Uh, who currently holds the uh, Chicago Bears franchise record for rushing uh, yards for a quarterback. And uh, that was not a very good Bears team. And Bobby Douglas was not a very good quarterback when it came to throwing, but he could run. And uh, we know that Justin Fields can run, but I think a lot of us, most of us would still like to see more uh, of the past game and how that evolves and uh, whether they can show significant improvement here in the final four games remains to be seen. But, uh, tall task today with the Eagles coming to town. Uh, the Bears are eight or nine point underdog, uh, depending where you're looking. So a healthy underdog at home. But that speaks to the uh, kind of club the Philadelphia Eagles have put around Jalen Hurts, who uh, he's not just uh, he's not just the story like Justin Fields is here in Chicago. They have a great offensive line. They have uh, a great wide receiver. They have a great running back. They have all the tools necessary for a young quarterback to to make that next step and that giant leap that Jalen Hurts has made uh, from last season to this season. And um, so, again, the intangibles are all there for Justin Fields. I think uh, we're still waiting to see at the end of the season how much of a, a move he made when you can look back on the entirety of, of 17 games and break it down. But I think first half of the season, the first quarter, the first third of the season, um, it wasn't there wasn't a lot to hang your hat on, but I think even though the record says three and ten, uh, we've seen, we have reasons to to watch every week because Justin Fields, when he's healthy and out there, um, puts on a show, and, uh, and so hopefully we're going to see the air attack evolve and improve uh, before this season's out, and then it's time for Ryan Poles to get to work with his mountain of uh, salary cap money. By far, the Bears have the most uh, money to spend in in the off season, well over a hundred million dollars. And uh, the second team that has uh, the highest cap room is somewhere, I believe, in the 60 to $70 million range. So it's not even close. Ryan Poles has a long wish list and a lot of heavy lifting to do in the offseason, but he certainly has the money to attack it in free agency. And then, of course, we'll see what the, the Bears do in the draft because as they sit here today, uh, they would be selecting third if the draft was held today because of their 3-10 and 10 record. Lovey Smith and the Houston Texan, Texans don't, uh, they look like they have a firm hand on the first overall pick with a 1 11 and 1 record. And uh, Lovey just getting started in Houston, but it's been a long season, obviously, for the Texans as they moved on from Deshaun Watson. And um, they certainly look like they will be selecting first in the NFL draft. Um, when we come back, we'll be talking to Josh Schrock. You read him at NBC Sports Chicago. He's covering the Chicago Bears and uh, great stuff. And you check out the uh, Under Center podcast that he and Ken Davis also do at NBC Sports Chicago. A lot of conversation on the podcast this week about Justin Fields and how you develop him and what kind of team you put around him to uh, expedite that development. We'll get uh, Josh Schrock's take when we come back here on ESPN 1000. Follow Chicago's Home for Sports on Facebook at ESPN Chicago. This is ESPN 1000.
Welcome back to ESPN 1000. Brian Hanley here until the top of the hour. Bears and Eagles at Soldier Field in uh, just a couple hours today. And uh, the 12-1 Eagles look like the real deal. And Jalen Hurts certainly looks like the real deal. And we're still trying to figure out exactly where Justin Fields fits into that future picture among the elite quarterbacks. Hopefully he will be there. Uh, like what we've seen so far for the uh the last four or five, six weeks, certainly, of Justin Fields. And we welcome in Josh Schrock, does a terrific job covering the Chicago Bears on NBC Sports Chicago. Josh, welcome in. Appreciate your time today because I know you're busy on game day. But uh, thanks for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Um, really enjoyed the podcast uh, that you and Ken uh, always do, Under Center Podcast on NBC Sports Chicago. But this week, um, you know, a lot of conversation at Hallis Hall and, and certainly between you and Ken on the podcast talking about Justin Fields, how he compares to Jalen Hurts, and also um, you had Tony Dungy on as a guest and found it interesting when you guys asked him about how you develop a quarterback like Justin Fields. And we can talk about, you know, whether he has a strong arm, an accurate arm, and, and all the things that Jalen Hurts is, is shown in, in, like, overnight from last year to this year. It's been a revelation. But I thought Tony Dungy talking about winning games and creating that winning atmosphere. And it, when he told, when he was down in Tampa, he was telling a young uh, Bucks team that they're going to get there. Um, what'd you take away from that conversation in terms of how he would approach building around uh, Justin Fields and how important winning is, even though the bears are three and 10, we've cer- certainly seen some improvements just watching the game and kind of passing the eye test when it comes to the offense in particular. Yeah, I thought the most important, most interesting thing that Tony said was that you know when he was I think six and six and nine his first year in Tampa, uh, they went into their final game against the Bears um, and they were out of the playoffs. But he told them, you know, hey, we need to learn how to win these games because eventually these December games are going to matter. And they beat the Bears, and then the next year they had to play that same Bears team um, to get home to get a to get a home field advantage in the playoffs, and they and they won that game. And so he was basically saying, you know, the Bears have been you know they lost a lot of one score games this year. Yep. Um, and Justin's been good, and he was saying, you know, these last four games, it's important for the Bears to try to figure out how to win because if you're trying to build that that winning culture and that foundation and you think Justin can get this team to Super Bowl contention, that, that this team needs to learn how to win and that these games can be important for that down the road. Yeah, and that's the thing. And you, you've been, you know, sitting there in person watching these. The, the late fourth quarter leads that dissipate mm-hmm. in those one uh, one or two possession games um, – yeah, no one thought uh, Las Vegas had over under total one six and a half. So uh, three and ten is maybe not shocking to anybody. But when you know you had the Lions, who have been a pretty good team of late, when you had them at home on the ropes and you can't seal that deal, I mean, the, that is a step that this team needs to take collectively. I don't care how bad the defense is. If, if the game and the ball's in your hands, Justin Fields, you got to start, you know, figuring out a way to to get that W. Yeah, I agree. I think um, if I get the stat right on, on the year, the Bears offense has had 10 drives uh, with under six minutes to go with a chance to tie or take the lead, and they have scored on, on one of those, and that was a zero-yard four-play drive to beat the Texans after Roquan's interception. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's the next step for this offense. And even if it's Justin driving the team down the field, they take the lead, and then the defense you know, gives it up right. with a minute left, That that's also fine. That's still that's still succeeding where this offense hasn't succeeded yet. And that's clearly, clearly the next step. Now, is that something that's going to be possible without Darnell Mooney, without maybe Chase Claypool? I mean, that gets a little harder then. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the expectations were in Philadelphia, if there were any, because Carson Wentz was still quarterbacking, and, and they go ahead and draft Jalen Hurts in the second round, and the, then all of a sudden he's filling in for Carson Wentz for four games. And the leap he made from last year to this season, you guys talked about it on the podcast, I, I mean, no one saw it coming. Um, I can't imagine that Justin Fields can make anything you know near that kind of leap with all the work that uh, Ryan Poles has to do in the offseason. There's no A.J. Brown here. And by the way, um, Chase Claypool's out this week uh, mm-hmm. against the Eagles. So you want to still see more of Claypool, and, and he's not getting nearly enough targets. And, you know, he's made some really unbelievable catches with the little work that, that he's gotten. But there's a lot of work for Ryan Poles to do around here. But I guess the, the, the question is, where were you with Justin Fields a year ago versus where you are with four games remaining in the season? Um, has he sold you more? Or did you always think uh, he was going to be on the, the right track and, and, and taking uh, positive steps? Or were you a little skeptical that he could even be where he is right now with four games left? Yeah, I mean, I think coming into this year, I was I was pretty bullish on, on what he could be. And then honestly, after that, after the first couple of games, like after the Texans game, when I think he was like six for 20. Yeah. I was like, oh wow, okay, this this actually might not might not be it, but um, you know, I think that's what Tony talked about, right? He said, you know, when you have a quarterback like Justin who who still needs a lot of work, if you tailor the offense to his strengths and and get him get him feeling good, get get him in rhythm, uh, get him getting more confidence, then then you can kind of build on that. And Justin talked about that this week. He said, you know, the last six weeks, each game he's felt this feeling in the pocket, and he can't really describe it, but it's just kind of like a calm, like he understands more what's going on. He can. He can make sharper decisions, and, and you've kind of seen that. And I think over the last, I mean, six weeks, he's been one of the most efficient quarterbacks in the NFL, and that's come with a passing game that still has a lot of work. So I'm pretty bullish on, on what he can be if if Ryan Pulse makes the right moves, right? You talk about the Eagles. They have a great offensive line. They have A.J. Brown. They have Devonta Smith. Uh, I mean, they have they have everything a young quarterback needs. So that's that's really the challenge for the Bears now, in, in my point, in my view. Yeah, and that's a challenge for Ryan Pulse in particular, and I guess you know when you when you try to evaluate a three and ten coaching staff, and you've decimated the defense and traded your best guys, and I didn't see the Roquan Smith move coming. I really thought they'd figure out a way to get him paid. And but anyway, he he's gone, and you you get some draft capital in return. Um, how how do you analyze and uh, evaluate uh, whether it's the defensive coordinator and Alan Williams or Matt Eberflus or uh, you know Luke Getze? A month ago, everyone was worried he's heading out the door as a head coach, and that may still be true uh, at, at season's end or in the offseason. But it's tough to evaluate this team given the dearth of talent uh, that the GM has given the, the coaches to work with. Yeah, I think that's especially true on, on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think you can really evaluate Allen Williams at all. I mean, this, this scheme is built on really three positions, and that's the three technique, the will linebacker and the nickel. And they have a rookie at nickel and Kyler Gordon who's been playing better. Uh, Roquan wasn't really the answer apparently at will. And now they have Nick Morrow in who's kind of a veteran placeholder. They don't have a disruptive three technique. They're going to play with Justin Jones kind of inside and then move him outside, see how he works there. So they don't, this defense doesn't have the pieces it needs to, to succeed. They're, like you said, they're talent deficient. Um, so I think the only way to, to judge this staff on defense at the moment is just that the guys have, have not quit. They've bought in. Um, they they play hard. I mean, look at how they put against the Packers with a with a really decimated secondary. Um, they played hard, then you know they they gave it their all. So they haven't quit on Matty Rufus. They they have buy in, which I think is big. And on offense, I mean, you do have to look at the the Minivi reevaluation, how they tinkered with the offense, 
Um, Luke Getzey gets points there. Now does he get docked because he didn't do it sooner? And we all knew that they should roll the pocket and have the quarterback design run game. Maybe that's fair too. Um, but overall, I think at three and ten, you evaluate the staff on. They're building a culture. They've, they've found a way to tailor the offense to Justin's strengths. He's taken a big leap, and, and that's really what this season was about. And when you look at this offensive line, um, I, I guess uh, you know the, the way to, to ask the question is, Ryan Poles has more than $100 million in salary cap money to spend in the offseason. They're going to be, uh, as we sit here today, they'd be selecting third in the draft. Um, mm-hmm. How would you prioritize the maybe the one, first or second things he needs to get done in the off season? Yeah, I think the way I'd look at it is uh, with all that all that cap, you know, over a hundred million dollars. I'm I'm looking at trying to get a vet, get a couple of veterans on the offensive line. I think uh, in the draft, you you go young on defense. Maybe you get some some stars and in, in, on the defensive line of Jalen Carter or Will Anderson. But in free agency, I'm I'm looking at trying to get really solid veteran offensive linemen who can come in right away and, and protect Justin Fields. I don't think, given how good Justin's been the last six, seven weeks, and if you want to take another leap next year, I don't think you can afford to go young on the offensive line and have more growing pains. Braxton Jones has been playing better, but is he really a long-term left tackle? I don't know. Maybe he's a right tackle. Maybe he's a swing tackle. But I think both lines of scrimmage are, are where Ryan Poles really needs to address first. Um, and then, obviously, the Chase Claypool move was – Made because the free agent wide receiver classes is not very good, so maybe they get a weapon later and later in the draft. But I think both lines of scrimmage is, is where Ryan Bulls needs to start. What do you think of Claypool so far? We haven't seen a whole lot of them, uh, and and I, obviously he was unhappy in Pittsburgh because he was not getting the ball nearly enough mm-hmm. too, and he's still a very young man. But some of those uh, catches he has made in the few attempts that he's had. Uh, they certainly highlight real tight things and get you excited for what maybe he can bring to to the offense. Yeah, I mean he certainly got ability. I think when they made when they made the deal, uh, what I said was I, I liked the player and didn't really like the price and give a pretty high draft yeah. pick for a guy who, um, you know, the Steelers are one of those organizations, especially with wide receivers. If they're trying to get rid of a guy, I kind of raise my eyebrows. I mean they've they draft really well, they develop really well, and they they put up with a lot of stuff. I mean Antonio Brown, Deontay Johnson. Uh, they got a lot of talented guys, but a lot of guys with big personalities. So if they're looking to get rid of a guy like Claypool, that, that kind of makes you raise my eye. Um, but he's got all the talent. Um, you know, I don't think we're really going to know if he's a fit in this offense until early, maybe mid-next season. Um, they still think he's got some growing to do. Uh, Luke Getze says he, he understands the plays, but the processing, when he hears it, takes him a little bit. Um, and then he's got to work on chemistry with Justin, and it's hard to do that now that he's out with a knee injury. Um, so it was a big, it was kind of a gamble by Ryan because that pick is going to end up being, you know, what, 34th, 35th, um, and that's going to be a good player. Uh, so they got to try to find a way to make that work. Yeah, we'll let you go, Josh. I appreciate your time. But, you know, today uh, Justin Fields goes into the game 63 yards shy of breaking Bobby Douglas's rushing record for quarterback in Bears franchise history. And I'm old enough to remember I was only 12 at the time. Watching Bobby Douglas scramble around, he wasn't a very good quarterback, and that wasn't a very good Bears team. But – when you look at Justin Fields, I, like many people, want to see much more of the passing offense develop, and maybe that's a dream with this offensive line. But can you get anything significantly done in these final four games to to increase that body of evidence to, to prove that Justin Fields isn't just going to be an exciting, explosive quarterback when he's running? I mean, I think you can. I think that's that's where the offense needs to focus. I thought against Green Bay, they had their best passing game. The protection held up, and Justin made some really, really good plays, really mature plays. He was really good in the pocket, uh, second-level throws, 
getting through his reads quickly. So I think that's the goal for this offense the last four weeks, other than as we talked about finishing a game-winning drive to get the opportunity. It's just can the pass game get more efficient uh, and, and can Justin kind of make that leap? Because like you said, we know he's an explosive uh, playmaker playmaker with his legs and he was he was a dynamic passer at Ohio State so he's got it in him but it's it's uh, it's up to all 11 to kind of to kind of get that going Josh keep up the great work really enjoy reading your stuff and and hearing the under center podcast NBC Sports Chicago and uh, you've had an all-star season even though the, the Bears record has certainly not shown that they have but uh, keep up the great work and appreciate your time today hey thanks for having me anytime thanks Josh Josh Rock NBC Sports Chicago when we come back, uh, we'll take some calls. If you'd like to join the conversation, 312-332-3776. And I can't believe that it's been 15 years since this story started. And we'll uh, go down to Champaign and uh, revisit the mascot world of the Fighting Illini. It's crazy stuff. And uh, the fact that they can't settle on a new mascot. Only in academia could you have a committee that's going to form another committee to try to come up with a mascot for the state's uh, uh, university, flagship university. We'll talk about that when we come back, ESPN. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Chicago's home for sports on Twitter at ESPN 1000. Welcome back. ESPN 1000, Brian Hanley here to the top of the hour. Then we send out Joe Donovan's on Irving Park with Jeff and Dion bring you the pregame and uh, the viewer party today at O'Donovan's. A great way to spend your Sunday. If you're looking for a warm place to take in Bears and Eagles, that's the place to do it. Head on out to O'Donovan's on Irving Park. And um, if you're interested in the World Cup, the final today, uh, Argentina leading France 2 to nothing as they head into halftime. Um, so it's going to be uh, a pretty uh, tall order for France to come back against the Argentinians in the World Cup final today that started at the top of the hour. So uh, there's your World Cup final update here on ESPN 1000. And here's your University of Illinois update when it comes to a mascot. Reading this story in the Chicago Tribune the other day, I I couldn't believe that it's been 2007. We go back 15 years to when the university retired Chief Illiniwek because of the controversy surrounded the mascot for the Fighting Illini and the NCAA uh, declared that it was hostile and abusive. And uh, the university agreed and said it was time to move on from a beloved mascot down in Champaign, Urbana. And uh, there, there was rogue chief Illini with uh, sightings after the official retirement. Uh, people did not, not want to give up on the uh, longtime uh, athletic mascot for the school and uh, people embraced uh, even when the, the university was breaking ties people still wanted to embrace the idea that Chief Illini could stick around and having gone having had gone to Marquette University we went through the same thing up in Milwaukee uh, when the Marquette Warriors uh, when it was decided that that too was an offensive name and uh, it, uh, they had to move on from the first warrior the mascot the only difference between the two schools was I think it was, was about a month or six weeks that the university in Marquette moved on from the Warriors and ended up with the Golden Eagles. The first try, they came up with a committee that came up with, I believe, was the Marquette Gold, and that was it. I mean, the committee said you, you will be the Marquette Gold, and that didn't go over very well at all. 
to the point where most alums who were writing checks to the university just said they weren't going to write any more checks to the university, and that got the university's attention. So eventually they settled on the Golden Eagles, and all these years later, uh, I, the, the entirety of the Marquette community has moved on and accepted the Golden Eagles. But this is unbelievable, the Chicago Tribune story talking about you know, 2007, they, they make the move to get rid of Chief Illini Wick, and 15 years later, they're still talking about what to do in terms of a mascot to the point where they had an advisory panel in 2018 suggested uh, that they, in fact, needed to adopt a new official mascot. But then the committee decided uh, that they had to create another committee to go ahead and find out what that mascot should be. And so... In 2022, they're, they're still looking, and they've come up with the belted kingfisher, which is a bird that is uh, native to this state, the state of Illinois, and shares the same colors as the fighting Illini, and apparently that is gaining some momentum. I don't know if you're a graduate of the University, University of Illinois, if you've embraced the kingfisher as the new mascot, but it's amazing to me that it's taken this long to even start talking about what that mascot should be and that you have to have a second committee to go ahead and figure this thing out. Again, only in Champaign or maybe Springfield could you waste that kind of time and drag your feet on something that shouldn't be this difficult to, to get right uh, all these years later. But it's there's still 16 groups on social media that celebrate Chief Illini Wick. Yesterday, when uh, Jesse and I were doing the show, I, you know, the slip, we were talking about the Cleveland uh, Guardians, and I slipped and called them Indians because it's tough. I mean, when when teams make a change and in town, the Chicago Blackhawks have certainly been resisting any and all calls to um, to move on from their logo and their name. And in particular, the the Indian head mascot or uh, logo on the on the sweater. And they have been writing checks to Native American groups and doing all they can and, and working in uh, unison with some of these groups, trying to do the best way they can to hold on to to their symbol and their image. Uh, but, you know, I would guess some the day will so- soon come or eventually come where they'll too have to move on and come up with something else. But uh, 16 groups on social media have 5,000 or more followers because they still celebrate Chief Illini Wick. Well, he ain't coming back. And, um, you know, they can have their social media groups and lobby for that, but that that's not going to happen. But good Lord, 15 years to, to get this thing done and get this thing moving, and it's not anywhere near to being done, is just kind of, it's it's not only shocking, it's kind of stupid. But uh, it's it's... I don't know about the belted kingfisher. I, I just, that doesn't really seem to work for me. But again, uh, you know, one committee up in Milwaukee came up with the Marquette Gold, and that had a lifespan of about two weeks before they had to move on from that. But if you're uh, a uh, graduate or a current student down at the University of Illinois, you know, this probably doesn't mean a lot to people outside the community. But when you are from a university and sports is a big part of your university experience, um, there are things that certainly uh, are, are ring true to you, and, and the mascot's no small thing. And uh, I'm sure you have thoughts about what they should do, but good Lord, is it another five years from now till they, they come up with something to move on from Chief Illini Wick? Um, yeah, you, know, you just shake your head that, that it's taken this long 
and they still haven't come up with anything. They even have come up with an alma otter that was uh, was suggested, but the students in a non-binding referendum voted that one down, and I think rightfully so. I don't know that you want to come up with the alma otter as your uh, as your <laughs> your identity for your athletic department down at the University of Illinois. The good news is Brett Bielma seems to have the uh, football program going in the right direction, and I was not a big fan of that hiring. I really thought that that was a uh, a wrong move, and he has proven me incorrect on that. And um, even though they've had a hiccup or two in the last couple of weeks, the uh, basketball team is back on uh, solid ground as well. So for the most part, the athletics down in Champaign are headed in the right direction. But why don't you just get this thing done and get a mascot done? Because 2007 is a long time ago. And in 2022, you have guys on the uh, students on this committee who hopefully they, they want the uh, new mascot to be settled up before they graduate. And uh, I think that's kind of a pipe dream for some of these kids who are sophomores that that's going to get done anytime soon. Because, as I said, it's been 15 years and nowhere close to, to getting this thing done. So. Um, just crazy stuff. I mean, sports uh, it, it embraces everything and uh, embraces name changes uh, sometimes. And sometimes you're not embracing the name change, but because of uh, the, the times we live in which we live, you have to move on from that. So uh, just uh, I, I found it interesting. I couldn't believe it was 15 years that uh, Chief Lini Wick was uh, basically told to, to go away and uh, maybe the belted kingfisher is on its way to representing University of Illinois, but I guess lots of conversation remains on that front. And uh, for us, the conversation is coming to a close. We're going to send it out to the pregame with Jeff and Dion at O'Donovan's uh, in Irving Park or on Irving Park. So head on out there if you want to join the uh, conversation and 312-332-3776 if you want to pick up the phone and join the conversation on the pregame. Uh, Bears and Eagles at Soldier Field today. Bears an eight-point underdog against the 12-1 and Philadelphia Eagles. A uh, tall task and big test yet again for Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears. Hopefully it will be an entertaining game, and I know the pregame will be entertaining with Jeff and Dion here on ESPN 1000. Thanks to Charlie Bevins, our producer today. Thanks to Josh Schrock, NBC Sports Chicago. And, of course, thanks to Jesse Rogers, our baseball guru here at ESPN 1000 with the uh, take on Dansby Swanson joining the Chicago Cubs and breaking news that Drew Smiley is going to be coming back to the north side as well. Have a great Sunday, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. ESPN 1000.